You know, I was a really big fan of like uh, JT. That's what I was rooting for. They don't care about, oh, that's a, he's a prospect. He's two years away, three years away. Hell no. Donut holes. Come on, JP. Timber. <laughs> JP was not the right guy to ask this question. Welcome to another episode of Digging In with JP and CB. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. Today, our guest is Jordan Romano. A little Canadian content for you. An interesting guy who's had a bit of a bumpy road to this point. Injuries. He's traveled around. He's been a Rule 5 pick and been returned to the Blue Jays. And now it seems like he's finding his way. And he's looked really good in his first couple outings on the Blue Jays road trip. And we're getting to talk to him now before he has that experience of pitching at home, which I think, considering he's a Markham guy, is going to be a really different experience. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. You go from being Rule 5 because, one, you're already upset that the Blue Jays didn't protect you on their 40 men, when, which I know people in the organization felt that he should have been protected. So that's one thing. Now you're upset. And then you go from being upset to okay, I'm excited because I have an opportunity with the Texas Rangers to go to spring training, make a team, be a big leaguer, go to spring training, don't make the team, get returned. So that that means that the team really didn't even kind of want you. Sometimes they work out deals to keep you. Don't You get returned to the Blue Jays, and then you have to kind of face reality that you're back in the organization that kind of almost didn't really believe in you in a sense. And then all of a sudden, you go out there, he handles it correctly, you go and you prove yourself, and he gets to get to the big leagues and pitch for his hometown team. And I think that now you look back, in hindsight, I bet you he's like, you know, it could have it couldn't have happened any better in the sense of, yeah, obviously there could have been a better route. But all that stuff that he went through, I'm sure that now he thinks was, you know, well worth it to be able to be back pitching for a team that he grew up watching. Yeah, I mean, if you had offered him this deal that you're going to come up and pitch for the Blue Jays in the middle of June of 2019 before any of this stuff happened in the offseason when he was still in the Blue Jays organization, I'm sure he probably would have taken that deal. So, yes, there was a roundabout way to get there. He's actually selected by the White Sox and traded to the Rangers, selected early in the Rule 5 draft, so there's probably quite a bit of demand for him. And then getting returned like this, it, it has been a circuitous route But he is here and uh, he's thriving. But before we get to Jordan, I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk a little bit about Edwin Encarnacion because he recently was traded to the New York Yankees. I feel like he's been a little bit out of sight, out of mind for Blue Jays fans in Seattle recently and then before with the Indians. And now he's going to be kind of right in their face with the Yankees. And he's going to make the Yankees an even scarier lineup. We've already seen their shuffling parts around to fit these bats in there. You know, you've got Judge and Stanton and, you know, these guys all have to be healthy, but Clint Frazier got optioned and that ended up being a big story because, you know, at the time of the trade, Encarnacion is leading the American League in home runs. It's pretty rare to add a guy like that to your lineup. So I guess the first question is how much scarier are the Yankees? And then this gives a chance to reflect on Encarnacion and why do we think he's been so successful and you are a teammate of his this late into his career, like we've seen guys like, you know, and Jose Bautista, obviously, Fade. I know Bautista was a little bit older. Josh Donaldson, you could argue. I know he's had ups and downs this season, but it seems like he's faded from the height of his peak. And although Encarnacion last year wasn't that, that good, 
you know, we're talking about a guy who's leading the league in home runs this year, who has the most home runs in the entire MLB since he broke up in 20, broke out in 2012. So as a guy who was around him a lot, what do you think has allowed this guy to just continue to be so consistent and so successful? Well, first, not only is he, is he doing it at the level he's doing it, he did it in Seattle, which is not considered a quote-unquote hitter's park where he plays every single day. Um, I also want to say I think Josh Donaldson is is kind of on. A, I know that he's not as what he used to be, but this dude is on the upswing right now. He's he has not stopped hitting, so I think that he's back to to form. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion in 2010 got sent down by the Toronto Blue Jays. He didn't just get sent down; he got designated. And so when he got designated, that means that everybody on the planet that's a major league team was able to pick him up. No one picked him up. Not one team. No one. He, he cleared waivers and ended up in AAA. Well, he got down to AAA, and the reason why I think he's good and he's still good is because when he got down there, it wasn't a pity story. It wasn't a try to act like he's better than everybody. He just got to work. He literally every day was one of the first ones there. He worked, he worked, he worked, he worked, he worked. Never complained. Was one of the boys. Like, I, I, it, it made me f- love him that much more. He was already an amazing teammate. It made me love him that much more. And then all of a sudden, he got back to the big leagues, and he's never looked back. And that's why I think that he's still good. I think that time, when he got sent down, he had to do a lot of deep soul searching. He had to figure himself out. He had to get to work. And, and sometimes, guys get down there, get fixed, and never come back, which was Edwin's um, path. Some guys go down there, get fixed, come back, and then still kind of fizzle out. I think that time allowed him to really become the, the hitter and the player he is. He's always out of the talent. He's He's got insane power. I just think that that's why he's been able to do what he's been able to do. And he's, you know, again, one of the since 2012, he's first in home runs, first in RBIs in major league baseball. And, and I, again, I all think it's because of the downtime he has, you know, that the downtime he had that he had to try to figure himself out. Now that's just speaking about him, Edwin Encarnacion, the player, right now, holy smokes, the Yankees are scary as shit. And I, and I'll tell you what, like I'm a baseball fan. I'm also a Blue Jays fan. You know, people know where my heart lies, but geez, that lineup, you got Stan on his way back. Judge should be around the corner. They just sent down a guy who he was, was killing fourth, it. fourth on their team in home runs, and he was having a career year, which then that sucks. The other part of the story is it sucks to be a prospect with the Yankees because this is the crap that happens. But you have Luke Voigt, who's smashing baseballs. I mean, Aaron Hicks is back healthy now. For me, this reminds me, and you can kind of – I think it's a, it's a little bit deeper and longer than the lineup. Do you remember when the Detroit Tigers, it was like Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder, Victor Martinez. Like It was like murderer's row. It was like the gauntlet that you had to go through. That's what the Yankees uh, feel like to me now. Uh, oh, Maglio Dornius. Sorry, not to, not to leave that name out either. That's what the Yankees feel like, but even with – more guys than that team. Yeah, their firepower is ridiculous. And the fact that they've been able to keep their head above water while they've suffered all these injuries 
Now they're getting guys back and they're supplementing with a guy like Encarnacion. And I know that in today's climate, we're talking about a rental guy with defensive limitations. You don't end up trading that much for him. But this is an impact bat, and they got him for virtually nothing. And adding that to Stanton, adding that to Judge, adding that to Gary Sanchez, who has been an absolute monster this year, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I can see them them running away with this division. Just circling back on Encarnacion himself, one thing that this trade made me, you know, it kind of brought Encarnacion back into my mind and made me think about the question of whether he's underappreciated in the scope of the Blue Jays sort of peak years of 15, 16. I think a lot of people forget, and there's plenty of reasons for the Blue Jays falling off a cliff after 16. A lot of injuries, a lot of guys just getting that year older and declining a little bit. But Encarnacion was the big piece that left after their playoff run. Like in 2017, they brought back Bautista, they brought back Donaldson, they brought back that rotation that had really driven their 2016 success. I know that Sanchez in turn got injured and he's still kind of dealing with that now. But Encarnacion was the big piece that kind of got plucked out of that mix. And then Kendris Morales came in and he wasn't really very productive. And I'm, it has me wondering if we, you know, if we should be attributing more of the Blue Jays' success in that time to Edwin Encarnacion. I know that he had that big wild card home run, but even that moment seems to get overshadowed by the bat flip, Although, even though it was a game-winning home run, it ended the game right there, and it was you know, an amazing, amazing moment. We think of the 2015 team as being better than the 2016 team, although they went the same distance, and I would agree with that too. And I think that every little thing about Encarnacion seems to get overshadowed by another guy, whether it's Donaldson taking his play to an MVP level or it's the theatrics of Jose Bautista he seemed to be the third guy in people's mind, but I mean, you can tell me as a guy who was in the clubhouse with him, but he strikes me as a guy who maybe was a bit of the straw that stirs the drink more than people realize. Yeah, honestly, not only in the clubhouse, he was more of a leader than anybody, really. I mean, this guy was really, really good about talking to young guys. He was a re- he was more of an example for the Latin guys than anybody else. Um, Jose was really good. But I think, honestly, that that Edwin was better in the way he went about his business. So inside the clubhouse, this guy was was nails. He was bigger than the numbers he put out there. And I think that maybe for him, he he is is so, I would say, he he doesn't have such a big ego that it doesn't hurt him to not be like the Donaldson or the Bautista, right? He just... He just loves to be out there and, like, making it happen. And, I mean, yeah, you're right. He has been overshadowed, right? He hit that huge home run to to end the game. And he's he's been one of the – I mean, obviously, statistically, since 2012, one of the best hitters in the game. But, I mean, that's good for him. Maybe that's why also, too, I think even coming to New York for him is a good thing because he just – he. He doesn't have to be the Giancarlo Stanton. He doesn't have to be the Aaron Judge. He's just another dude in that lineup who's very, very good and who's leading the league. But he's not the guy that everyone's going to buy jerseys for. And so I think that it still keeps him at the same level that he was and will allow him to go out there and do the things that he does. But he he is special. He's a phenomenal human being. I mean, phenomenal. This guy is one of the best teammates, one of the best people you'll, you'll ever be around. 
And he's happy-go-lucky. He's the same guy every single day at the field. And then he always, always, always seems to just arise to the occasion and and put up big numbers, do what he needs to do. Last year, I know his numbers were down, but he also was dealing with injuries. Obviously, he's healthy this year. So I, I just think, listen, with the Yankees' bullpen and how they went out and got the bullpen they got and the, the lineup that they've been able to construct, if they're starting pitchers, just get them into the fifth inning, I think that they're they're going to run away with this division, especially if they go get another starter or two other start. Like, and that's something that's been talked about a lot. If they go get another start, I know that we recently had the rumor of Marcus Stroman and the Yankees, and that would be a nice fit considering he's from New York. Um, I don't know if that's going to play out that way, but that would be that'd be very interesting for Blue Jays fans if you know they end up with yeah, you know, Stroman and Carnacion on the Yankees. Yeah, that would be weird, and I think. I think it's tough. I mean, listen, not that to, to trade in division like that, I think is super weird. I've always thought it was weird if you're like that kind of a player, like with Strowman as an ace, to trade an ace to the to the Yankees. You know that he's going to be there. You know they may have a chance to sign him to a deal. So, I mean, for a while he could be kind of beating you up. I don't know. I, I think that that's kind of a weird thing. But listen, for the Yankees' sake, I regardless – they're going to absolutely mash home runs. They have a good home run hitting park. If they don't add any starting pitching, they have a phenomenal bullpen to be able to pick them up from the fifth inning on. So it's just being able to get those starters. I think that they have the starters to do it because if they didn't, they wouldn't be in the position that they would be, that they are in right now with the guys being hurt. So regardless, what they have going on right now is special. And Cashman going out there and freaking getting Edwin and Carnacion, holy smokes, like hat tip to you. Cause that is, I think that's kind of the, that even if it even, not that it's the over the hump, but everybody in that clubhouse, when they found out that they're getting Edwin and Carnacion, those dudes are doing the happy Gilmore uh, club in between his legs. Like the, the, the horse running around the, the green with the horse, yeah, well, none Gallup. of the none of those guys in the clubhouse care about some nineteen, twenty year old pitcher who might be something someday. They care about getting some amazing, you know, top notch, middle of the order hitter that's going to help them be awesome tomorrow. Like that's, you know, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how players are going to think, right? They don't, they don't hell, care about yeah. prospects. Like, let's get no. someone's going to help me today. Like, let's get this championship. I want my ring. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. They don't care about oh, that's a he's a prospect. He's two years away, three years away. Hell no. These guys, when they heard that, hey, we got Edwin Encarnacion, I guarantee you, one, there was a wildfire of text messages between each other. Then in the clubhouse, it's kind of like, holy smokes, dude, did you see who we got? I mean, this is this is like big, big, big stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's the that's also what a front office can do to ignite a team. You know, you make a trade like this and a team that's been kind of hanging on and doing well all of a sudden can take another step because of the addition of, you know, a player as as big of a name and as and as obviously good as Edwin Encarnacion. But I mean, dude, that's that's some fun stuff. And we'll see here too. I think I think there's a big test for the Yankees coming up. They they got um Tampa Bay, who's obviously one of the better teams in the AL East. And we'll see how that how they match up because I think this is this is these are the times now where it starts to show okay, what time what kind of team do we have?
Okay, before we leave Eddie for Jordan Romano, final question. Do you think there's a spot on the level of excellence at Roger Center for Edwin Encarnacion? I do. I think that there could be. I think that he what he what he did for that team was huge. I think before Edwin Encarnacion would be Jose Bautista. Um, just my opinion. Uh, but I do think that there should be a, a level of excellence there for for Edwin Encarnacion, and and it would be it would be at least it would be well deserved. Um, if he doesn't, then I don't think that at the end of the day that it's like a we're going to go crazy about him not being up there or fans would go crazy. I think it would be deserved if they did it. And if they didn't, if they did not do it, then it, it wouldn't be an uproar. I think for sure Jose Bautista is a guy that we'll see up there at some point um, in the near future, probably, if you think about it, uh, after whenever he officially says that he's done and, and kind of hangs him up, I think that a little bit after he's done, they'll they'll put his name up on that on – that, uh, facade yeah i think i'd agree with that if they decided to do it i don't think anyone would say this guy's unworthy if they decided not to do it i don't think there would be a huge outcry of whereas edward encarnacion he's kind of on that borderline he really had five very good years with the blue jays and three kind of okay years with the blue jays um i just you know i always think he's been underappreciated for his time and that would be a nice way to appreciate what he's done for the franchise but if it I'm sure that he's not going to lose any sleep over it so let's get to Jordan Romano uh, a guy who's a part of the future of the Blue Jays rather than the past uh, first off we always try to we try always ask the young guys which I think is one of the coolest things for a player is to get that call right you've been dreaming about it since you were a little kid so how did it unfold for you how was the, how was your call-up story yeah so um we were playing a game in uh, Indianapolis, so we went from Buffalo to Indy, and then we played a game there. And um, the past couple weeks, I've been kind of like a late-inning guy. I've been closing games for Buffalo. And there was there was a save situation that night, and I didn't go in. So I, I thought that was kind of odd, you know, but I was like, hey, maybe, you know, it's just a little rest for me. But uh, after the game... We, we ended up uh, winning the game. And after the game, uh, I'm just kind of hanging out. We're, uh, talk, you know, talking with my buddies, sharing some baseball stories. It was about 1130 at night. And uh, Nietzsche, my manager, he kind of just points to me and, you know, says, uh, come into my office. And at that point, I was like, wow, like, this might be it. I might be getting the call. So he calls me in the office and uh, he's like, you know, uh, you're going to be going up to Baltimore, Baltimore tomorrow. Um, you're going to be a big leaguer, and you know we hugged. And I came out of his office, and all the all my buddies were there. We're all hugging and stuff, and it was pretty cool. Well, and talk about a, a emotional roller coaster, right? I was talking about it before you came on as our guest. Is you know you you don't you're not put on the forty man, which which would piss anybody off, would make anybody upset. Then you get rule five, then you have a chance to make a team. Then you don't make the team, and you're returned. So then all of a sudden all these things go on and then you're back in the big leagues with the team that, that didn't protect you. So for, for you the last year, talk about the emotional like roller coaster that it's been. Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, been kind of a crazy, you know, uh, six months. So, you know, got drafted by the Jays in 2014 and, uh, you know, played uh, three, four seasons and it was uh, time for me to be protected and, and they didn't protect me. 
And uh, so when the Rule 5 draft was coming up, I had a pretty good idea I'd be taking. I didn't know to which team. But uh, so then the White, the White Sox originally drafted me in the Rule 5. They traded me to Texas. So I went from Blue Jays to White Sox to Texas all within like 15 minutes. So that was, that was a pretty crazy day in itself. And then fast forward to spring training, um, I have a pretty good I have a pretty good camp, and I'm thinking, you know, I have a really good shot to make the team, and then I don't make the team. So sent back to the Blue Jays, and then I was relieving in spring training, and when I got back to the Blue Jays, they tried me out as a starter again, and I really wasn't doing that well for the first you know month of the season starting. So it was like I was so close to the big league then so far away, and then they eventually put me back in the bullpen, and I started doing pretty well, and then I finally got the call. Jordan, much like you're the Canadian content on the Blue Jays right now, I'm the Canadian content on this podcast, so I thought I would ask you a couple (laughs) of Toronto questions. The first one that comes up, obviously, is about, you know, this is a very big day for Toronto sports, the, Mm -hmm. the Raptors having their parade I'm wondering what your fandom growing up in Markham, Markham was like. Were you a Leafs guy? Were you more of a Raptors guy? What were the teams and the players that really kind of stood out to you growing up? Or was it just Blue Jays? No, I was uh, growing up, I was a huge Leafs, Blue Jays, and Raptors fan. Um, probably, uh, you know, the Raptors were, when I was growing up, Vince Carter was huge. You know, I just remember all his dunks and him in the dunk competition. And the Leafs, uh, I was a really big fan of uh, Matt Sundin. That was my guy growing up. And uh, the Jays, um, you know, I was a really big fan of, like, uh, JP, um, Lowry, um, Ricky Romero. Like, these guys are, you know, when I was getting to that age where I can kind of understand baseball a little more, you know, these were the guys that were playing. So that's, that's what I was rooting for. I'm definitely with you on the Sundin thing. I don't know about the JP thing, but uh, Sundin <laughs> was 100% my dude when I, when I was growing up. I also thought it was interesting, the idea of what your teammates might ask you about Toronto. When you're coming up through the minor leagues, all your teammates are hoping to get to Toronto, and you're the guy who's from there who knows about the city. So I'm wondering if you ever were kind of grilled by your teammates or people asking you about what it's like and what's the city like as a guy with a unique perspective. Yeah, definitely. I, I was asked kind of all the time about growing up there. You know, they're like, hey, like, how's the city? What's there to do? And I, I would just tell them, I was like, man, the like, city is really passionate about their sports, you know, whatever it may be, the Leafs, Raptors, Blue Jays. And there's basically anything you want to do here, you can do. You know, there's great restaurants, nightlife, and all that. But another thing is, it's like, I would always say it's a really safe and clean city. You know, you can go out and feel safe. Um, and yeah, I just said it's a great place to kind of live and now play. So I'm really excited to be back. Digging into your career, you know, you go you go out of high school, you go to Connor State, your freshman year, you struggle, the second year, your sophomore year, you come back, you do well, better. And then you go to Oral Roberts. Yeah, you go to Oral Roberts and then you crush. And so I I think that it's pretty cool to see, you know, the how you were able to progress and then continue to progress and now you're in the major leagues. What were the adjustments that you had to make, you know, from that freshman year of, of college to then, you know, to get to where you got your junior year to then you were like, all right, this is, I'm a bona fide dude. 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, coming out of high school, um, I was mostly a, a catcher, as crazy as that is to believe. So my, my uh, senior year of, of um, high school, I just started pitching a little bit. I was pretty raw. Like, I mean, I didn't throw a lot of strikes, but I threw pretty hard. So going into my freshman year um, at Connor State, I could barely get on the field. I would throw, when you know, we're down 10, up 10. Um, sophomore year, same kind of thing, just control issues, walking way too many guys. So I didn't really reach my full potential there. But um, when I went to Oral Roberts, uh, we had a really good pitching coach. His name was Sean Snedeker, and he really helped me out. Um, he coached he coached Stroman at Duke, actually, and he coached in the White Sox organization for a long time. So he knew what he was doing, and he helped me out a lot. So that kind of – I'd say he was kind of the guy that really helped me, um, you know, get my career going. Jordan, one of the facts about your career, I'm not sure that many Blue Jays fans know – is how you represented Italy at the World Baseball Classic in mm-hmm. 2017. So I want to know how that came up and what that experience was like. And then another fun fact about that is how Sam Gaviglia was also on that team. So whether you were able to connect with him and that's something that you brought forward to, you know, fast forward to 2019. Yeah, so um, so the World Baseball Classic's coming up and my dad's from Italy and um, I'm not from Canada, so you know, I had a unique opportunity to, you know, play for one of the teams. And at that point, I was, I think I was in low A. You know, I was, I think I was only 21. And Team Canada, they, you know, they maybe had a spot for me, maybe not. But Team Italy said, hey, you know, you can come play with us, and uh, you'll be pitching for us, and we'll give you, you know, a leverage role. So I was like, hey, you know, they're giving me a chance, so I'll go with them. And it was an awesome experience. We were down in Mexico and uh, really liked that. And Sam, yeah, uh, he was actually, when we got to Arizona, so Team Italy kind of flew down to Arizona for a week for like their spring training, I guess. And uh, me and Sam were roommates there. So we got to know each other pretty well. Well, that's nice. And then now you're back in Canada, right? So you start on the road. Is there something that you were looking forward to? Obviously, your family is is near, but is there something that you're looking forward to when you got back to Canada that you're like, man, now I can have either an ice cap or some some Tim Hortons, some some donut holes, or whatever it may be that you donut can get holes. In the Come States. on, JP. Timbit. <laughs> Timbit. JP was whatever. not the right guy to ask this question. No, yeah, I, well, I was a big, I was a huge birthday cake Timbit guy. So I birthday just, cake, just, <laughs> that's a legit flavor. I'll give you that. Um, yeah, so coming back, um, the one thing I really like I go to every morning is Tim Hortons. I get a, a Tim Hortons regular coffee. That's one cream, one sugar. So coming back here, I had to get it. I already had it this morning. So that was kind of the one thing coming back to Toronto that I really look forward to is a Tim Hortons coffee. Are you looking forward to leaving the amount of tickets that you're going to have to leave? Because you know that's going to put a hole in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, it kind of it kind of hurts the, the wallet a little bit, but I mean, you know, a lot of these people have supported me throughout the years. Um, they've come seen me in the minor league, so I mean, leaving them a ticket or two—that's that's no big deal for me. Yeah, before we let you go, I wanted to touch on that point a little bit because, as JP said, you open on the road, you come back mm-hmm. to Toronto. 
What do you think that moment's going to be like beyond just, I know there's going to be a lot of people in the stands out there for you supporting you. How much have you thought about that moment about standing on the mound at Rogers Center and kind of what are you expecting? Yeah, you know, uh, opening up on the opening up on the road and like debuting on the road was was really awesome. You know, just first uh, MLB experience, so that was really cool. But now coming back, it's like this is a field that you know I grew up coming to, watching the games. So it's like a, a second debut all over because this is like my hometown, and uh, I get to be you know playing out there in front of all my friends and family. So it's going to be really really cool tonight. Jordan, well, thank you coming for coming on. Uh, I apologize that I was the guy that you, you were looking up to when when you were getting into baseball. But listen, now I'm looking up to you because I know you uh, personally and you're one of the better guys that I've ever been around. And so I'm happy that it's uh, happened for you the way it has in the sense of being it, making your debut for the team that you grew up watching. So continue success and I'll see you soon. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Hopefully I could uh, do all right for you guys tonight. All right. We appreciate it, Jordan. One thing I wanted to touch on on a Blue Jays note is what happened to Vladdy on Friday when he took that pitch to the hand. It was a bit of a scary moment for the Blue Jays, and I know that you have a very visceral experience with that where things went a lot worse for you and you had a broken hand and were out for a significant amount of time. So I just wanted to touch on your, you know, what you thought when you saw that and how a hand injury can affect a hitter because I know that this is – you know, it's more minor. Obviously, there's not it's not like a rehab or anything. It's just a contusion. He was back in the lineup on Sunday, two days later, but he had a new piece of padding. And I just thought it'd be interesting to get your take on how, you know, having that in your head and having experienced that might affect a hitter over the next little bit. Well, I don't think anything to do with your head wise. I, I don't think a ment- mentality, it'll change anything. What, what, do, what does change stuff is the physical part of the swing, I think. You know, when I got hit, obviously it broke. And so the first thing you always think when you get hit is, is it broken? Well, he obviously probably was scared and thought, you know, possibly could happen as well. Uh, it could have been broke, but thankfully it wasn't, right? So now that you get you get the x-ray, boom, not broken. So that's good. The next part is to see, okay, how, how sore is it? Because you think about it. You know, the reason why catchers struggle hitting a lot of the times is because their hands are always beat up, right? Fingers jacked up, your thumbs jacked up, whatever it may be. And when you're trying to swing and you only have usually as a catcher, you'll have one hand that's messed up. So then that you're kind of just using your other hand is taken over and you, you're almost hitting with like 1.5 hands, like a hand and a half. It messes it up. and 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 so... We'll see. I think it's too early, right? I think he, you know, he was back in the lineup pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, like I was, he... I was watching on Sunday. I didn't. Nothing really jumped out at me. I think he went one for five. The hit was fine. The there's one strike. It was a bit ugly, but there was nothing that you would watch and you'd say, "Oh, this is Vladdy being like way off." Yeah, I, I just, I am for me like I, it's gonna take time. I don't think it's just one game. That's going to show it. I think what's going to show it is the next week, you know, because he, he was on fire, right? This guy was getting three hits a, ga- a game, it seemed like. So if all of a sudden he goes one for his next 25 or two for his next 25, you know, like, okay, something's going on with the hand. But 
here's where the thing is too. One, young young players are always going to want to get out there, right? They just want to play, which I, which is good. Um, the other thing is is at fifty percent, Vlad is better than probably most players in baseball. You know, I think is he's that kind of a special hitter. So they they'll I'm sure he'll be anti-inflammatory up for the games, and he'll have his like you know drugs going through his system, not the not crazy stuff, but just his you know, the painkillers and stuff like that so he can get through those games. And then once he's done with the games, I'm sure he's getting treatment before and after and just get that out of there. Bone bruises are kind of tough because they just kind of linger for a little bit and, and you, you know, you're continuing to go out there and play, so you still are kind of aggravating a little bit. But that's my biggest test is we'll see this week. We'll see this upcoming week, how he responds, how he's doing, what what kind of – is his power still there? Is he is – he, you know, is he kind of hitting ground balls? Is what what is it? Because it was in his bottom hand that it was hit, and so, so I, I was just gonna say, like, that's what I wanted to get at. Is what do you think? And you said you have all this experience hitting with one and a half hands. What is the thing that you would see from him that you'd think, oh, this isn't quite right? Is it him not being able to drive the ball? Is it because it's not going to be? You know, it's not going to be him swinging for bad pitches or something like that because that's not what it's going to be affected by a hurt hand. It's going to be quality of contact, presumably. Well, I, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is – so, for example, when I got my hand hit – or I got my uh, thumb hurt one time when I was catching. So my top hand was my was my strong hand during that time. And I'd get pitches down the middle and I'd hit ground balls or shortstop. And it wasn't because of anything other than – my left hand was so swollen that it kind of was doing nothing. And when I'd get a chance to swing, that's all I could really do with it. Like it was really, really hard to be able to stay through the ball because my, my top hand was the one holding pretty much the majority of the weight of the bat and it was taken over. So I was hitting a lot of ground balls into that hole. That's what you want to see. You want to see, is he still being able to stay through the ball, line drives, and still put the ball in the air? Or is he rolling over a lot of balls? Because when your hands get hit, specifically the bottom one, when you're swinging, that top hand's going to take over, which creates more of a ground ball kind of, uh, you know, whatever, a, a ground ball result. So that's what I would see is, is he hitting the ball in the air? Is he hitting line drives? Is he is he or is he grounding to the shortstop on pitches that are down the middle? And that's what we see a little bit from Vladdy when things aren't working anyway. He's a bit of a lower launch angle hitter than a lot of the top, top power guys. He's more of a line drive guy than a fly ball guy. So when things are slightly off, I think it does result in a lot of ground balls. So it'll be interesting to see this week if we do see kind of what he did at the very beginning when he came up, which was him pounding the ball into the dirt a lot. So before we head out today, we're going to end it how we always end it with a would you rather. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple other people about this. I think that the position I take is the unpopular position. So we'll see what position you take. We tend to fall on different sides of it. The question is this. Would you rather have the ability to teleport anywhere instantly or be able to create legal one dollar bills by clapping i've americanized the question for you for canadians it is create (laughs) loonies by clapping so whatever it is one dollar legal tender in the country wherever you're at by every clap that you do you get that money or you can teleport anywhere 
Well, I'm going to take the clapping, and here's the reason. I would love to teleport. I think teleport would be super cool. But I'd take the clapping because I can make sure that I'll clap 10,000 times and get a first-class flight and fly to wherever the hell I want to fly to. And then I'll clap a few more times and have a opportunity to have dinner at the country I'll have for free and make money every single time. So uh, that's how, for me, the teleporting would be sick. I think it would be super cool. But when it comes, when it's up against, if I can clap, every time I clap, I get a dollar. I'll just clap for all the things that I need to get. Oh, I want to fly first class. Boom, boom, boom. Clap a few times. I'm good to go. I want to have good food. Clap. I want some money in the bank. Clap. I want to buy a new car. Just start clapping. So I think that that's what I would do. Um, teleporting, again, is super cool. But I would I would be able to do everything that I needed to do by just clapping. So I, So I think that you're on the side that most people are on. However, let me make a case for teleportation. And that is that I believe the most valuable resource that we have in life as human beings is time because none of us are immortal. So if you can teleport anywhere you want, you can see the world kind of instantly, right? Instead of going to Hong Kong, and even if you get a first-class flight, whatever, that's still going to be 20-plus hours. You're going to be jet-lagged, blah, blah, blah. I can now teleport, say it's my, I've got a lunch hour, you know, I say I work a straight nine to five job and I've got a lunch hour. I can snap, I'm in Hong Kong for an hour, walk around a street market, pick out a lunch, have an amazing experience, snap, I'm back at work, I'm doing my thing. And I think that being able to travel the world in those little increments, have an afternoon in Santiago, Chile, you know, it's my day off, it's Saturday, why don't I go for a bike ride in Australia in the morning and then I'll come home and have dinner, you know, with my parents because I already agreed to do that, whatever it is. Just being yeah, able to... Yeah, but you're going you're gonna to still have to pay... You're going to have to pay for that bike ride and you're going to have to pay for uh, the dinner and you're, where are you going to get... Now, now where are you going to get the money from? Teleporting is cool, but you need to have the funds to be able to enjoy no, it. No, a lot of the best things are free. Like you could go... You can teleport to an amazing place to take a hike. That doesn't cost you any money. I don't know, like how much does it cost to rent a bike? I, and if you go to certain countries, things aren't super. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't snap my fingers, go to a country, and then stay at the Ritz Carlton. Maybe not. But I get to have these incredible little experiences. Even daily, I could have amazing experiences. Whereas you'd have to block off time, and you'd have to take these trips, and you have jet no, lag. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have to jazz. block off any. I wouldn't have to block off any time because I would just start clapping. I wouldn't have. Yeah, to but work. it doesn't give you more time. Money. You still have to take these flights. Yeah, that's fine, but it's not like I have to be like, hey, excuse me, work. I'm going to take this, these days off so that I can go to the Maldives. It's like, no, I'm going to start clapping my ass off, make my get my, my dollar bills up. I'm buying a flight to the Maldives, and I'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah, well, I've already been there for, you know, three hours, and I came back. I just feel like you can... Yeah, but you can't even enjoy it. You're there for three hours. Okay, cool. I saw it. Oh, this is nice. Oh, psst, I got to get out of here. I'm actually going to stay there for a few weeks because I got the money to stay there for a few weeks. I have a holiday, a mini holiday every day. It would be part of my daily routine. It would be to have me. And then, if, if you instead have, of meditation, that you'd be the you'd be trans, you'd be just going to different yeah, parts well, of and, the world. Yeah, instead, so like, say someone comes home from nine to five, they get home after a commute seven thirty, and then some people it's a Monday night. I don't know. They they you know their significant other or just themselves. They don't really have anything to do. They just watch Netflix till eleven and go to sleep. Instead of watching Netflix, watching like binging a TV show, like I'm hanging out in I don't know in northern Greece and I'm I'm just chilling and um you know I'm gonna see a city 
I'm going to see what the seafood's like there. I mean, that's a bad example because the seafood is in the south of Greece, but you know what I'm talking about. And then in your more mundane life, you have no commutes, so you could live wherever you want. You could have the cheapest property you can possibly imagine. You don't even have to worry about living near your friends or anything like that. So like I could live out in the country in some like $90,000 house, doesn't matter, like deep in the bush. Even It could even be, make it a nice house, do some renos, and then... I can hang out with my friends who live in the city, no problem, don't need a car, don't spend money. I'd save a bunch of money on transportation and time. I don't know. I know where you're coming from, and I understand the practicality of having that money, but I just feel like I would live a very fantastical life with the ability to teleport. Yeah, well, I think that, again, I said that teleporting would be awesome, but the problem is is that you still need an, you still need the cash to be able to do certain things, and so... Although that I think it would be cool to go, hey, I'm going to teleport. All right, send me to a glacier. Send me to the Maldives. Send me. It'd be cool, but when you get there, you still got to be able to afford the, the, the time to enjoy it. And so that's my only thing is that that's why clapping for me would be better. But you know what? I, I do think that you make a valid point, but it's still not enough to sway me to say – that I would be teleporting over clapping for a dollar. I would clap for a dollar all day long. Well, I don't expect to sway you. If anything, I'm just trying to sway a couple of the folks at home. That's the best I can possibly do. Um, anyway, that's going to wrap it up for us today. We appreciate you guys listening, subscribing, reviewing, whatever it is you guys are doing. If you're hearing on Spotify, iTunes, we appreciate you, and we'll hear you next Well, you'll hear us next week. <laughs>